Good morning. I'd like to welcome you here to Spirit Rock and to these this two-day gathering focused on monastic life. My name is Jack Cornfield, and I'm one of a collective of about 15 Buddhist meditation teachers who are involved in founding the center at Spirit Rock. Uh, it's being built by a community of practitioners of uh, Buddhist insight meditation. Um, we've had some hundreds of retreats and uh, many thousand students over the past 15 years in this country uh, and had a retreat center established in Massachusetts since 1975. And here at Spirit Rock, uh, we are also in the process of developing a year-round retreat center and teaching center and also a monastery or hermitage the past two or three years we've been involved in just getting all of the requisite permits from the city and county and water department and so forth and so having them in hand this summer will begin our our building program I'm also happy to welcome you in the rainy season we thought it would be the, the dry season, as it had been for the past two months. Um, and now it feels much more like being in a forest monastery um, during the rains retreat. Uh, and the land has very much needed that. So we've had a couple of inches here in, in uh, Woodacre in the last few days. And it's been just wonderful. So even though it's a bit cooler or it may rain again, it's really a blessing for us. Before I even begin uh, by way of introduction, I'd like to ask that we do a short chant together. Um, the days will be divided with some uh, discussion, some uh, speaking by our uh, various monastic uh, teachers. Uh, and some periods of meditation, but just to do a simple chant as a way to bring the energy together or collect ourselves. Um, there is in the Buddhist tradition, uh, uh, in the Mahayana Sutras, um, a teaching of the, the Sutra of uh, Perfect Wisdom in 80,000 verses. Um, which is also summarized in 8,000 verses, um, and then to be found also in a much more abbreviated 80-verse form. Um, fortunately, it is also summed up in one syllable for the slow learners among us, um, and uh, that is the, the sound that we'll work with. It's the seed syllable in uh, Sanskrit that's the first sound and the last sound of life, um, and most importantly, the reason it's the summary of all the 80,000 verses of perfect wisdom is it's the sound of letting go. Uh, and it's the sound, ah. So what I'd like to do is just for us together to chant that sound for several minutes and then rest in the silence that remains after it. 
like to introduce to you the uh, speakers for this event. Um, this is Venerable uh, Ajahn Sumedho, who is an American, now abbot of a series of monasteries in England. He's been an ordained Buddhist monk uh, for uh, more than 20 years. Um, and trained in the forest tradition of Thailand uh, and under his guidance now in England there are uh, I believe 80 or more people in robes in different levels of uh, training and ordination. Um, Ajahn Sumedho is, is a good friend and I'm very grateful that he's here uh, he's just completed teaching a 10-day, leading a 10-day retreat with uh, several other monks and nuns from his monastery uh, in Santa Rosa here in California. And um, Ani Pema Chodron, who is the abbess of a Tibetan monastery in Halifax, Nova Scotia. It's actually in Cape Breton Islands, about six in, miles from that. In Cape, in Cape Breton Island, six hours from Halifax, <laughs> which is which is relatively it's a suburb of Halifax, I suppose. <laughs> in that, uh, she is uh, a, a bhikkhuni uh, and a follower of the late Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche as her teacher in the uh, Tibetan Kargyu lineage. 
uh, just as Ajahn Sumedho is in the Theravada Buddhist lineage of Southeast Asia, in which I also trained. Um, Pema is from the Tibetan lineage. Um, and at her monastery, there are now 15 uh, monks and nuns, as well as a variety of lay people who come to practice. Um, and sh they have, as far as I know, the first um, real Tibetan monastery run for Westerners in North America. Is that correct? Might be. Might be. <laughs> if not, we haven't heard of the others. I'm pleased that she can be with us also. Then uh, others who are with us, um, particularly as uh, speakers, uh, uh, there is uh, Brother David Stendelrast, who is on the left, um, who is a monk in the Benedictine order for many years. Uh, whose home monastery is in New York State, but is currently residing in the uh, Kamaudalese Monastery in Big Sur, California, and who has written and taught about monastic life and contemplative life for many years and been an inspiration for many people. So I'm grateful that he is here. And uh, Sister Columba Quera from uh, a Trappistine monastery, uh, which of which she was the founding abbess, in uh, currently in in Iowa. Um, initially, uh, her monastery started in Massachusetts as a sister monastery to the Spencer Trappist Abbey, and then moved to the Midwest. And uh, after 18 years as the founder and the abbess of that monastery. She was um, able to retire from that role um, and to become a participant in the community. Uh, and uh, I'm also very grateful that she's here to join us to speak about monastic life. Behind them um, are Sister Sundara and Sister Jodhika, who are uh, two of the most senior nuns from Amaravati, which is the community from which uh, Ajahn Sumedho uh, comes in England. And I, this is their first visit to California as nuns, I believe. And um, again, uh, they've both been in robes for 10 years? Something? No? Not quite. Um, I'm very grateful that, that, uh, that they're also here with us. Um, two other visiting bhikkhus from uh, the monastery of uh, uh, Chan Master uh, Shunhua, uh, the temple of 10,000 Buddhas. Um, what are your names? Hang Shun. Hung and Hung Zhao, um, uh, both ordained as bhikkhus for uh, quite a few years now, um, and uh, part of a large monastic community uh, of more than a hundred or a hundred fifty monks and nuns. Um, 
uh, and a series of many temples uh, uh, following Master Wa. Is that correct? And next to them, coming this way, is Tan Amaro, Ajahn Amaro, who is, uh, uh, again, a monk with Tanajan Sumedho in England, uh, who's been ordained for uh, at least 10 or more years, uh, which makes you an elder in the Buddhist council. When you have ordained, uh, completed 10 years, then you, you get a, uh, a kind of, I wouldn't, shouldn't say PhD, but something at the end of your name. It says Tara, actually, which means that you've done it long enough to um, have your opinions listened to somewhat by others. <laughs> um, at least supposedly. So I'm grateful to have Tan Amro visit. Um, and uh, then uh, Tan Yanisara, who is ordained... Uh, did you ordain with Tangpulu Saido? Or, uh, who ordained with Mahasi Saido, uh, a great Burmese teacher, and has uh, been living much of his monastic life in America at the Tangpulu Monastery in, in near Santa Cruz um, and practiced with uh, Upandita Saidao and a variety of other Burmese teachers. I was reading through a book uh, called The Wisdom of the, or the Sayings of the Desert Fathers, who were early monastics in the first century or two after uh, uh, the teachings of Jesus. There were two old men who had lived together in a monastery for many years, and they never quarreled. Now one of them said, let us try to quarrel once just like the other people do. <laughs> and the other replied, I don't know how a quarrel happens. Then the first said, look, I put this brick between us and I say, this is mine, and you say, no, it's mine, and after that a quarrel begins. <laughs> so they placed a brick between them and one of them said, this is mine, and the other said, no, it is mine. And he replied, indeed, it's all yours, so take it with you. <laughs> and they want, went away unable to fight with each other. It's a wonderful story, and I, I begin with it in introduction because there is something very unusual about monastic life, and it reflects in some way, not that monks and nuns might not have their quarrels, mind you, um, but to begin for us to consider what uh, monastic life might mean, what its purpose is, um, and what is that unusual quality that we may have heard about or read about um, or that has somehow come to us through several thousand years in the Buddhist tradition and the Christian tradition, other great monastic traditions, of people choosing to live a life of voluntary simplicity or vows or poverty um, or in community. This weekend is a monastic conference or gathering, not so much intended to teach meditation as you would find it in these different traditions, but really to address the, the purpose and the, 
the understandings that can come through choosing and living a monastic life. As I've said in, in form, we will have uh, presentations by some of the uh, monastic speakers here. We'll have discussion periods. We'll have some periods of sitting and walking meditation. Uh, we've arranged or organized this conference, and I've never, in, in uh, 15 years or 16 years of teaching, I've never organized a conference before. I'm generally not terribly uh, um, inspired by them, uh, but invited you and these other speakers here um, for a couple of reasons. One is from my own love of and inspiration of, from monastic life, having lived um, in several monasteries for uh, several years that are among the most wonderful and happy years of my life. Um, an inspiration because as we establish this center here at Spirit Rock, um, it is very clear to us that the tradition of Buddhist practice and meditation has been held within the cradle of monasteries uh, for the past 2,500 years. Um, and uh, they've been an in intrinsic and incredibly important part of uh, the holy life, of the spiritual life of Buddhism. And we as a community, those of us who are a member of the local um, Vipassana and Buddhist lay community, um, are concerned and need to come to some understanding of <clears throat> monastic life and our relationship to it and how to support it. Um, it's also inspired this gathering for me by questions that have been raised over many years <clears throat> and misunderstandings that I've heard. People have come and talked about monastic life and said, gee, I would like to ordain so I could become a monk or a nun and then be on retreat all the time, as if to live a monastic life would mean that you just meditated in silence with your eyes closed and then maybe did some walking meditation and that's all that you did or prayed continuously um, and didn't speak to anyone or do anything else. Um, that's one kind of uh, misunderstanding about monastic life that's common and as you'll hear that's not uh, what monastic life offers. Uh, alone. I've also had people come simply saying, why are there monasteries? Why does one do this, take vows or follow rules? Uh, or why do they keep men and women separate in certain monasteries? Or, or why are there so many rules? Why can't you uh, feed yourself or, or in the Buddhist monastic tradition or, or other similar questions? Uh, why do you have to be taken care of by others? Other kinds of questions that people have raised have been uh, from the ordinations of uh, monks and nuns in certain Zen traditions where the Japanese uh, monastic life has evolved to something halfway between, for so certain people, halfway between a monk and a lay priest. And people will come and say, I've taken vows or I'm thinking of taking vows, but I don't really quite know how to live or what that might mean. Um, I, I have these vows, should I be celibate or shouldn't I? Um, so among certain monastic people, among meditators in our community, 
Um, and even when I had the opportunity to visit and speak at a conference of Catholic abbots uh, and abbesses uh, in Petersham some years ago uh, from monasteries around Europe and North America, there were questions being raised about how to live and hold and understand a monastic life in these modern times, being thought, thought and discussed by all of those people. So, to me it became clear that some understanding and education would be helpful for those of us who are interested in monastic life. And so this weekend is a place to question, to uh, be educated, to understand, uh, or to consider what a contemplative and monastic life might mean. We need it for our own community because there's been a lot of confusion and questions um, in developing a hermitage or monastery here at Spirit Rock. I think the greater Buddhist community that I'm a part of through uh, friends and associates at various Zen and Tibetan centers could benefit by this kind of dialogue. Um, and I hope that it will be a support for us in establishing, as Ajahn Sumedho has indicated might happen, um, or perhaps through Ani Pema and others, uh, uh, further Buddhist monasteries here in California and elsewhere in establishing them and developing them and supporting them in wise ways. I'd like to read a passage to you that comes from a booklet called Cistercian Life which is the invitation booklet to the Trappist Monastery in Spencer, Massachusetts. And I, I believe that part of this was written by Thomas Merton, but I'm not certain of that. Someone told me so. It goes, It is a custom of contemplative monasteries to issue booklets which will inform visitors and postulants about the life led by monks and nuns. It is true that explanations are owed and therefore must be given. The monastery is so radically different from the world. Monasticism seems so much a thing of the past and so alien to technological society. The life of a monk or nun may in many counts seem strange or pointless and these objections themselves dictate replies. It's natural to assert or argue that the monk or nun is not so different from the modern world and that they have a part to play in it, that they're not useless at all. But frankly, these arguments are often misleading and unsatisfactory. To say that monks and nuns are justified because they practice some special kind of scientific agriculture or because the monastery is a dynamo of prayer is often to compromise the real meaning of monastic life. Actually, what matters about the monastery is precisely that it is radically different from the world. The apparent pointlessness of a monastery in the eyes of the world is exactly what gives it a reason for existing. In a world of noise, confusion, and conflict, it is necessary that there be places of silence, of inner discipline, and peace. Not the peace of mere rac relaxation, but the peace of inner clarity and honesty and love based on true renunciation. In a world of tension and breakdown, it is necessary that there be those who seek to integrate their inner lives 
not by avoiding anguish and running from problems, but by facing them in their naked reality and their ordinariness. Let no one justify a monastery as a place from which suffering and anguish is utterly absent and in which its members have no problems. I'm sure everyone of the monastics here can smile at that. This is a myth closely related to the other myth that religion itself deposes all of our anxieties. The monastery teaches men and women to take their own measure and to accept their ordinariness. In a word, it teaches them the truth about themselves, which is known as humility. The seeming fruitlessness of the existence of a monk or nun is therefore centered in the ultimate meaning and highest value. It is a life that loves truth for its own sake and gives everything away in order to hear this and to live in accordance with it. Before completing this um, introduction, I would like to know a few things about you. How many of you have some regular spiritual practice, a meditation or prayer that you do in your life? I should probably ask, how many of you don't have a meditation <laughs> practice, just to know, or, or are just beginning that? So, uh, a, a few of you. All right, how many of you um, are uh, involved in a Christian form of practice? Uh, Zen Buddhist? A Tibetan? Um, other? N not uh, Vipassana, um, insight meditation. Other? Other. Well, what are those? Sufi or Sufi? Others? Um, are you here out of some interest in contemplative and monastic life? Is that so for you? Just to make sure you're in the right place, otherwise <laughs> I could give you your ticket back. Well, you'll hear from people of different traditions speaking. Uh, the schedule, the gist of the schedule is that in a moment, um, Ajahn Sumedho and uh, Ani Pema will speak each for half an hour about the monastic life, and then we'll break up into groups of about 15, 12 or 15 people, um, and have an hour for discussion. Uh, and then following that, there'll be a lunch period and then meditation together, um, uh, a walking and sitting meditation, and then another presentation in the afternoon, uh, Brother David and Sister Columba, again followed by an hour period of discussion uh, with the various monks and nuns here um, about both what is raised in the, uh, uh, as the speakers talk about monastic life, or the kinds of questions that you may have. It's important that you understand that the monastics who are here are from different traditions. So the vows that Ajahn Sumedho and Tan Amaro uh, keep will be different uh, than the vows from 
the two Chinese bhikkhus from Master Wa's temple who are here. Uh, Ani Pema's vows uh, as a Tibetan bhikkhuni are similar but different, again, uh, to some extent, uh, from the vows that would be kept by Sister Jodaka and Sister Sundara. Um, and even between Brother David as a Benedictine and uh, Sister Columba as a Trappistine, in their vows, uh, there are at least some, some slight differences, if I understand correctly. Um, and the purpose of my saying that is not so much that we're going to figure out who keeps what vows and how they might fit together or swap them or whatever. Um, but if you, uh, as you listen to them, I hope that what will be spoken to is not so much the particular vows, but rather the deep and common understandings among those who have chosen this way of life or those who wish to relate to it. I think in a certain proportion of, of people who lead a spiritual life, many of us have, um, as Brother David said last night, a deep longing for something that monastic life offers, whether we can actually live it as a monk and nun or we're drawn in some way to that, uh, uh, to live near or be in association with monasteries and nunneries. Um, and in ancient cultures, in Buddhist countries, uh, there's a monastery in most every village. Or in, in medieval Europe, there were many, many more monasteries, and there was a natural relationship between monasteries and lay communities. In these modern and rather confusing times, um, there aren't many monks and nuns. Um, and it may seem alien, and people, even if their hearts are drawn in some way or, or feel a connection to that life, often don't understand it or know how they might enter it or be touched by it or relate to it. Mostly what draws people to monastic life in the healthiest and best sense is its joy. Um, when I look through this book of Cistercian uh, life from Spencer Abbey, uh, the most beautiful thing in it to me, there are many, many pictures, are the faces of the brothers. Um, and there's just this sense of uh, light and, um, and delight that I've experienced in well-run monastic communities and from people who've chosen that way of life. Not that there aren't many difficulties in it. There are as many as anywhere else. Um, but the joy and the deliciousness of that is really the, the underlying stream. Um, the Buddha spoke of joy as one of the factors of enlightenment. Um, and if it weren't for that, I'm not sure that the monastic life would be worth living. Uh, so I'm pleased to, uh, for myself, just to be in the company of these good friends and teachers um, and to welcome you here uh, for these two days out in the in the forest together. Thank you. <laughs>